Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. Hey everybody, today's guest is Jen Schott, who's been a friend of me and Amy's for who knows how many years, and we are better people for that. In fact, she's one of the three other people that celebrated my proposal to Amy on our trip to Italy in 2006. She's written a ton of great songs, sung out on schooners, ran marathons, and helped us songwriters get paid what we should be getting paid in Washington. She's come a long way from her Kansas roots, but never forgot them, and always, always had a big smile and a great laugh waiting every time when we get to see her. Here's Jen Schott. Jen Schott, welcome to Thinking and Drinking. How the heck are you? I'm good, Bart. Thank you so much for having me. So you're in your newly renovated home. Looks awesome. Thank you. Yeah, I am enjoying it so much. And, you know, it's, I can't, it's hard to believe it's been three years since I uh, moved back in, but I've never been more grateful than this year to have. Yeah, no kidding. That I really love. So, yeah, it's, it's good. <laughs> well, your, your kitchen knives look good. They look like. Thank they, you. Yes. Often, and I've yes, eaten your cooking. So I know they get some good use there. They get some good use. They they sure do. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good bright spot in the house, but I'm like, oh, there's the kitchen knives. Yeah. So <laughs> if you feel better, if, if you want to move them, go ahead. But I, I'd like them there. It's, it's, it's uh, adds character. <laughs> yes. So you were born in Pittsburgh, Kansas, correct? Uh, well, I actually was born in a little town called Fort Scott, Kansas, about oh. 30 miles north of Pittsburgh, but, bo- but raised my whole life. Okay. I was brought home from the hospital to Pittsburgh. Yes. Nice. And you are an only child, correct? Well, I am an only child between my mom and dad. Yes. Um, I do have half brother and half sister that are on my dad from my dad's side. Oh, but okay. I was raised an only child because they were older and already grown up. So I was an only, I was an only child, but an only child with siblings, if that makes sense. Man. But <laughs> yeah. your mom, your mom is a quadruplet. She is. Yes. Pretty amazing. Yeah. It is crazy. Yes. She was, um, you know, um, in that era in the, you know, the forties, there weren't many multiple births, especially, you know, quadruplets. I think they were maybe the first set of quads born in that particular hospital in New York. <laughs> And, That's uh, crazy. That had to yeah. have some for some lean to some uh, lead to some fun Christmases and Thanksgivings and stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and because my my grandma and grandpa had already had my uncle Teddy, so they thought, oh yeah, we'll have another kid. Right. And surprise! Now you have a total of five. <laughs> when you thought, oh, we'll just have two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They so. started their own basketball team. Absolutely. Yeah, and band. Yeah. Yes. We've got such an interesting musical background. You Tell me if I'm right on this. Your grandfather was a concert master violinist for the CBS Orchestra for shows like Ed Sullivan, which is crazy. Yes. Your dad was a professor of woodwinds. Your mom is a, is it flutist or flautist? You no, know, people say it both ways. I've always said flutist, but I think either way. Okay. But you, uh, you come by your love of interest pretty uh pretty honestly that's pretty amazing 
Yeah, that's on both sides of the family, you know. Man. Uh, yeah, so I'm grateful for, you know, uh, being a kid and music was always being piped through the house. It might have been classical. It might have been big band swing music, but there was always something playing. And I think you just soak it in, you know. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. Did your folks let you play like rock and roll and pop and stuff? Or was it a lot of classical and, and big band stuff or... Yeah, I mean, as a little kid, I think I just kind of listened to what they listened to. Right. Um, so it was, yeah, there was classical music. My dad loved the big band stuff, the Tommy Dorsey, the Glenn Miller. Oh, yeah. Um, and, you know, as a little girl, you know, I'd put my little tutu on and dance around the house to all that. And um, and then they both were, um, they often would be in the orchestra pit for the musical theater in my hometown, whether it was through the university or through... Okay. Um, or through the community theater. And so, um, you know, they started taking me to those rehearsals and that's how I started doing musical theater in the summers is because I was there anyway at rehearsals. But yes, as, as, as I got older, yeah, I, they were fine with me listening to top 40 and pop and, <laughs> and all the things that you do, you know, I mean, well, and I do even elementary school, I remember uh, getting the thriller cassette tape oh, and Cindy Lauper you know, and like breaking them. I, I remember my thriller tape broke because I played it so much. Ah, that's awesome. And yeah. your dad didn't like her mom look down their nose and go, what is this garbage? I'm sure they were. They didn't say it to me. <laughs> oh my gosh, what is she listening to? <laughs> who, who controlled the radio dial in the car? Uh, that was usually mom or dad. Yeah. yeah usually dad. It depends. Well, it depends who driving, but it was usually the same music either way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So were any of those, uh, were they the earliest influences that made you want to play and write and sing? I suppose you play, you sang along with everything. Sang along with everything. And, you know, I think my biggest influence as a, as a, as a little girl was the musical theater stuff. I mean, okay. I, um, I thought for, as a kid, I thought that's what I wanted to go do was try to do Broadway, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was a big influence. And then, yeah, I mean, and my dad, because he was a professor, um, I would, and my parents just didn't want to pay for a babysitter, or maybe they thought it would be good for me. They would take me to these student recitals or faculty recitals at the university. And I was little, but I guess mm. I was quiet. So they would take me <laughs> and, you know, I remember feeling at the time as a little kid bored, and yeah. I would take games out of the pro program, you know, um, and, and I would always ask mom, dad, is it going to be a reception, which meant like cake, cake and punch. Absolutely. And, uh, they could motivate me to go. But, you know, I think it all had to, some of it had to uh, be absorbed through osmosis, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, I, you know, I was making up little songs as a kid, but didn't know it was a career, you know. Yeah. So much, much later, much later. So you went to the University of Misery. So we... Uh... We often commiserate on Saturdays. Yes, we do. Football teams rise and in bottom ball. out. <laughs> yes, we've, we've been through the highs and lows. I know both of our teams. Sometimes the same year. Same, sometimes. It's very true. Sometimes the same year. So after graduating from Mizzou, did you come straight to Nashville? And what year would that have been? Yes. Yeah, technically. Yes. So I graduated Mizzou in 97 and went back to Kansas just for a couple months to get my stuff together. But yeah, yeah I now had you asked me 
what I was going to do in December of 90 or in January of 97, I would have said, I'm going to Kansas city to take the job that's waiting for me at a PR firm. Okay. And eventually I wanted to move to Nashville. Um, and it was really, there's a professor that I had at Mizzou, one of my advertising professors who would take each of us, um, our last semester took each of us aside one-on-one looking at our resumes, talking about our plans. And, and she was always one of my favorite professors. And she, I remember she, you know, asked, what's your plan? And I told her just what I said to you. I said, well, you know, I entered with this PR firm in Kansas city and there's a job waiting for me and I'm going to do that. But eventually I want to move to Nashville and be in the music business somehow. And she just yeah. stopped right there and said, why eventually, you know, hmm. really, she was the one that kind of lit the fire in me to do it then. And thank goodness when I was young and fearless and didn't know any better, <laughs> you know, and she, yeah, she really made that. She really pushed me to, to do that. So yeah, I ended up moving to, um, I graduated in May and moved in July to Nashville. Um, and I'd flown down here. I'd never been until like a, maybe a couple weeks before I'm like, I better go. And like, you know, and I was trying to find a job. And so I came down here by myself and had a stack of resumes. And I don't think this would work today, but I literally walked up and down music row. Uh, with resumes. And um, well, there kind of is no music row anymore. Almost. There, right. That's very yeah. true. But yeah, I ended up getting um, a job offer with a music publishing company as a receptionist. And okay. I feel like that was so pivotal to me because I wrote songs, but I didn't know, I really didn't know it was a career. And yeah. when I got offered that job and saw what they did, I was like, oh my gosh, there's a place for this. Because I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll go to Nashville and maybe try to do the artist thing, be a singer. Yeah. Uh, but writing was really what I'd always loved. I just didn't know until I, until I took well, you that job. You mentioned Broadway. Did you ever think of maybe going to LA or New York? I, I Earlier, in, like in high school, probably like even freshman, sophomore year, I thought, yeah. Oh, Maybe I want to go to college and study musical theater and, and then go do that. But then I, I, I remember getting in my own head about it. And I'm like, well, that's just so risky. And that's so, you know, chancy. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to be in psychology. <laughs> and so I'm going to do that. I'm going to try to figure out why people are the way they are. And that's actually what got me to Mizzou because they were supposed to have a good graduate prep program. But the minute I got to Mizzou, I changed my major to journalism because I had inter or not entered. I had worked at a country music radio station on my summer okay. graduation. And that really set a lot in motion for me with country music. I mean, I'd yeah. listened to some in high school, but working at that station, 96.9, the cow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Great, great people. Great station. That is really what, that was kind of my education into and it was a great era yeah country mid 90s you know oh man yeah 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 so i did that every summer other than the, the internship in kansas city i was uh i was working at that station as much as i could when i was home from college so actually you did go into psychology <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah. just in a different in a roundabout way yeah. exactly <laughs> Well, yeah. so so what made you think you could write songs? I mean, you said, you, did you just, did you always just write by yourself or did you, I mean, did the songs you brought to town, like when you got to that publishing company, did you show them to anybody or were you intimidated or did you just put them in a shelf or what? Oh, I put them in a shelf. I mean, I had written <laughs> stuff in probably late middle school, high school, 
on, and I didn't play the guitar at that period of my life. So okay. they were all piano and they were all kind of ballads. And I joke, but it's true. They were at the time like heavily influenced by like Debbie Gibson and Tiffany. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, these ballads and, and, you know, and I, I maybe, I don't, I really don't think I wrote in college because I was so busy, you know, writing papers and, yeah. and everything you need to do in college. But I, there, my roommate, my freshman year's boyfriend had some recording equipment and he ah. helped record some of these things. But yeah, I don't think I played those for anybody when I came to town. <laughs> oh, I mean, no. And then once I got here again was, yeah, I was inspired to learn guitar. Yeah. And I was, uh, and then started meeting some other young writers that, you know, would write with me at night because we all had day jobs. And that's what else I was going to ask you. Who else, who did you write with when you got here? Yeah. So I I can't, I can't say who my, I don't know who my very first co-writer was, but there were, there were a couple guys, a few guys, um, a guy by the name of Joey Boone, guy by the name of Chad Smith. Um, They were two of the very first I remember that were willing to, write with me yeah, and, um, and, you know, and then from there, I remember my first signed writer was a guy, Greg Johnson. I had um, been playing at a writer's night and uh, a publisher came up to me and was like, Hey, I like your stuff. I'd love to meet with you. And of course I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. And through that meeting, I started writing with Greg and some people over at the time it was um, Cal four. Was oh, okay. Um, so that was kind of my foot in the door with, signed writers and you know getting professional you know good demos and getting my first hold and all those things that you know well i mean i'm i mean i think your mom is a lot like my mom where they have the best of intentions but maybe don't know a lot about the music business and your dad uh we're sorry to say had had passed away but but he was in a totally other side of the music business I mean, how did you find, I mean, obviously you're a smart person, but how did you find an attorney you could trust, a pub company you could trust all on your own? Because I mean, I, I think for anybody, that's insanely impressive just to come down here and kapow, you're all in those places already. Yeah. Well, it took, you know, it was really, it was three years between when I got to town and when I signed my first deal. So a lot of it was, just in that time meeting people and yeah. you know you know how it is it's like one person introduces you to this person to this person to this person but yeah i mean i i remember kind of not knowing where to start and then it kind of organically started with that you know at that writer's night with that publisher coming up to me and that was like well maybe maybe i am at a place where people would be interested in yeah and, and that publisher took me to bmi and ascap like took me around and, and so that's how i got affiliated with bmi and, um, yeah, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I think I asked somebody about an attorney. I was like, I don't know, you know, and <laughs> once I finally got, yeah, to where I was going to, you know, look like I was signing a deal. Um, and that was thanks to, again, you know, this person, a, another writer saying, Hey, you're with BMI, right? You need to meet with this person over there. Yeah. Um, Harry Howard is who it was. And oh, like, okay. you, need to, you need to play him some of these songs. So I took my little, you know, baby Taylor guitar over there and played him some stuff live. And he made phone calls on my behalf. Um, Dang. Three different publishing companies. And one of those companies was DreamWorks, um, Jim Catino. And okay. that ultimately is who signed me to my first deal. Over really? There. Yeah. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I always say, I'm like, they, they were paying me to learn. I was grateful they saw potential, <laughs> you know, but it was a big learning 
Uh, yeah. And that's, you know, setting me up on rights and new, new situations and hmm. expanding my horizon, you know. So who were some of your songwriting heroes when you came to town that either took you under their wing or just gave you some advice or, or you just looked up to? Yeah, well, I, you know, I remember starting to do, as I was getting more involved, get, starting to do some demos and um, starting to do some stuff over at Station West. Okay. And, um, and, and Leslie Satcher would be over there doing oh, stuff. Man. And I was like, wow, this is, she's amazing. Yeah. Uh, I was really inspired with what I was hearing there. And, you know, and also back then you could get into the bluebird, no problem. It wasn't right. a big deal. And so I really feel like that was some of my schooling and just to go. And I remember it'd be like Gary Burr, Georgia Middleman, it'd be, you know, and just being blown away and Jeffrey Steele, you know, and just being blown away by what I was hearing. Um, And so inspired to go get, grab my guitar and write. And, you know, and before I was in Nashville, it really, I don't think I was as aware of the writers. I mean, I was more aware of the artists, you know what I mean? And it's like, there were so many great songs and, you know, anything Patty Loveless did, I was like, yes. Trisha Yearwood, you know, there were so many excellent, excellent songs, but yeah, it wasn't really till I was here that I was like, okay, let's pull back the curtain and study some of these, right? Yeah, I always thought the exact same thing. I thought when you heard George Jones or Patty Loveless or the Judds or whoever, I always thought, well, they wrote those songs. I had no idea. Yeah. I mean, growing up where we did, it's like, yeah, we weren't exposed to songwriting as a career. No, yeah, no, for sure. Talked about that as I just never thought about it. So yeah, it was pretty eye-opening coming here for sure. Well, and if yeah. you like bands, I mean, like I was a like a Van Halen's Easy Top guy. Well, they all wrote their own stuff. So there again, I never had any ideas. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. It was like a whole new education coming here. You yeah. Know? Well, what was your first cut? And how'd you feel when you heard it? And where where were you when you heard it? Yeah. So yeah, kind of two stories on that. Of course, there's only one first cut, but the first cut um, was a song called Faith Give Me a Little More that I wrote with Sally Barris and a band. They were kind of like a bluegrass band. They were called Malibu Storm. I already like them. Yeah. And Mark Bright was producing. Okay. And I, I, I don't know. I don't know if my publisher had pitched or her publisher, but anyway, I remember running into Mark at Universal Publishing. Oh, maybe I've still been Almo at that point. I don't remember. And um, and Mark said, "Oh, we cut that song. Would you like to come hear it?" And so he, I was so excited. Yeah, he let me come over to his office. And oh, that's cool. That was a cool way to hear. Yeah. First, you know. A first cut and then yeah first time on the radio was restless heart oh cool and, uh, that was a single that i had a song that i wrote with danny orton and i i tried to hear it in nashville i mean i kept trying and trying and could never catch it on the radio and and it had to go to la to hear it and was <laughs> driving down the road with a friend and it came on the radio in la which was kind of cool to be in a different city and hear yeah it. yeah that's when you really get uh, it becomes a little bit more real that some of this music is is really seriously being heard by a lot of other people. Yeah, yeah. It's a moment, it, you know, and it's a moment to celebrate. And I think even now, it's like, man, you, you just got to celebrate all the all the victories along the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, sure. Well, you are also an alumni or alumnae 
of uh, Leadership Music, yes. which is a small group of folks. Can you uh, tell me what that is and uh, just why you wanted to be involved in it? Yeah, well, so it's, I mean, my way of describing it is almost like continuing education for music business professionals. That, yeah. That's, in a nutshell, to me, that's what it is. And it's, it's put on by music business people for music business people. And it's a great way to expand your circle of people in the business because it's, it's, I think each class that goes through is maybe 50, 60 people from all walks of the business, from banking to um, trade organizations to obviously labels and creatives. So um, they kind of structure it where, you know, once a month you have a, a, a class day that's going to have a theme to it, you know, to educate. So obviously I knew a lot about songwriter publisher day, but it was really interesting going into maybe, you know, about booking and artists and yeah, it's, it was a really neat thing. And then, you know, the, the class that goes through, then the next year that class plans the new classes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they do some, they do, once you're through it, there's, there's opportunities to participate in other, um, other events and, and, you know, programs that they put on. Yeah. So it was, and, and really the reason, the reason I got involved was, I know, you know him, Byron Hill. Yeah. Um, Byron is obviously an amazing songwriter. And, and for many years, I mean, from the time I was in my first deal, he was willing to write with me, which yeah. was cool. and he's kind of been a mentor over the years and has, um, yeah, like brought me into a lot of neat things. I mean, he's the reason I, he encouraged me to go to apply for leadership music. He is, he is who, um, recommended me for the, uh, NSAI board. So I'm really mm-hmm. grateful to him for, for both of those. Yeah. I was going to get to that. You've done a lot with the, uh, the in DC with NSAI, and most people probably don't know about the fight for the bill that was passed a year or so ago. Can you explain the bill and uh, how you were involved in educating senators and congressmen about that bill? Yeah. I mean, as best as I can. And it was, yeah. as much as, as involved as I, not that I was that involved, but it's like, you know, being close to it. It's, it's so involved and we are so fortunate that we have advocates on our behalf that are super yeah. educated. Bart Herbison and Jennifer Turnbow and NSAI. And we've got, you know, folks in DC that uh, NMPA, David Israelite, those guys that really like know the inner workings, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, I know Bart has said it was, this bill was 15 years in the making 15 years. And, you know, I remember him saying, and this was before I was going to DC, but you were having to, you know, they were having to go there and educate these, you know, these folks, these, these senators and, and their question be like, well, now what's the difference between the songwriter and the artist? Like, I don't understand. Like they don't have to go back that far and explain, yeah. okay, how the, you know, it works. And here's our dilemma. Our, you know, our royalty rates are set on archaic, you know, yeah. they're, archaic, they're set on the, from years and years ago. And, this is how songwriters are making a living. But the problem is they're not making a living. We do something. So yeah, it's been, it was really an honor to get to be up there in DC. And, and, um, you know, when we're with NSAI there, Bart is doing most of the, um, you know, the educating, but then he does turn the table over to us. And and so we can kind of say a personal, a bit about it. 
you know, and I'm very honest of like, oh, well, here's my song. But, you know, let me tell you about the guys I used to write with that aren't in town anymore because the business has shrunk so much. There's just not room. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, and you saw, see some of them starting to see the light and were really stepped up and really stepped up to help us. Well, there was a couple of Nebraska senators or congressmen or something that like voted no on the bill. And Amy was kind of mad about that. And I said, honey, nobody in Nebraska knows anything about songwriters. They know about cows and corn and that's what their constituents are interested in. So yeah, I suppose the education part of, of that gig at that time was probably very eye-opening to a lot of people in DC. I really think it was. Cause yeah, I think again, it's, it's the, our business is, um, what's the word concentrated in small areas of the yeah. country. You know, it's not everywhere. So yeah, I think for the, for the, you know, people in the house and the Senate that don't have constituents that do that, yeah. it's like to educate. And I think too, a guitar is a good weapon. I mean, you know, it's those folks in DC are constantly having people knock on the door all day, every day. Hey, we need something. We need something. And of course that's what they're there for, but we would come in and Hey, would your staff like a song? Right. Um, and you know, they'd bring in all their, all their staff and interns would come in. And I think it was such a nice break for them, but also put a face to, you know, face to the career. <laughs> the guitar is a, is a good weapon, especially a pointy one. Pointy one. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for doing that. Oh, it was an honor. It was, it was really neat to see. And of course it was neat to see the bill passed and then how it's continuing to, um, yeah. Know, from that, the new mechanical licensing collective and, um, yeah, hopefully it will be continue for generations to make a difference of how things are structured from here on out. The mechanical, uh, what did you just call that? The mechanical licensing collective. collective. Yeah. Right. So is that is that the thing that Spotify and everything everybody is so mad about and suing back against it? It's not that's not really the MLC. That's it that's a it's that's a separate issue. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they they basically are contesting something that they already agreed to. Right. Within within the MMA. Yeah. Right, yeah. Okay. Modernization Act. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We will be up and running um in the new year. Oh so. good digital mechanical royalties. Yeah. It's funny looking at your statement, isn't it? When you look at streaming and stuff and you realize that, I mean, I, I love Scott Borchetta and I love his music has value thing and stuff. And, and I love the sentiment of that. But when you look at your statement, <laughs> you realize music almost has no value. And it, it's, it's, yeah. Yeah. Your song gets played 34,000 times on streaming and you get, point 34 cents or th you actually get 34 cents or something it, it's it's unbelievable yeah yeah again when you, you get that statement either through email or mail and you're like wow it's like it's 50 pages that's amazing and then you realize it's all point you know yeah. <laughs> like still doesn't add up to much i made seven and a half cents in france yay exactly yeah <laughs> Well, I know from Amy and from you also that you and our buddy Melissa Pierce have been doing these boat trips in Maine for, I mean, obviously you couldn't do it this year, but how many years have you done that? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes. So um, in 2010, 
Melissa and I took a girl's trip. Um, we've done several. We had made a deal with each other years ago that anytime one of us had a single on the radio, we'd treat the other and take a trip. So oh, we, cool. We'd done a couple trips out west and some family friends of mine in Kansas knew I loved to travel and they were telling me about these wind jammers, these old wooden schooner boats in Maine and how they had just taken a trip and how much they loved it. And um, they said, you need to go and you need to go on this particular one because it was excellent. So I told Melissa about it and we decided to make that our, our girls trip that year. And on the website for the boat, it said, bring instruments because when we're anchored at night, you know, play some music. So oh, cool. we, we kind of joke, we're like, well, let's take them because that's a write-off, right? We're taking our music. <laughs> <laughs> All that and so we get up there and it's an amazing experience and it turns out the captain of the boat that we sail with, um, Captain Noah Barnes, is a musician and we hit it off with him nice. and just a great guy and when we were leaving that year, I remember he said, you know, how can I get you guys back? And we kind of joked, we're like, well, if you ever need music on board and sure enough, he reached out to us and said, hey, I'd like to market one of my trips around you because each trip kind of has a theme. You know, okay. they have you know, wine trips and fall foliage trips and all that. So we said, well, yeah, heck yeah. So I guess 10 years, I mean, 2010, we went for, you know, just as passengers and then went back in um, 2011 and have done it every year since. Um, it's a, so it's, a, it's an amazing experience. It's just, there's not, as I say, there's not a better stage than yeah, being no in Penobscot Bay uh, off the coast of Maine uh, playing yeah. music catching your dinner every night yeah having some lobster some <laughs> lobster yeah so how big how big is a schooner how many like how many people total like, with crew and passengers and everybody are on a boat like that First yeah ship? so the boat, the boat that we um typically sail on is called the Stephen Tabor it's a historic um schooner it's I think it's the I'm gonna probably say this wrong it's the longest continually continuously operating schooner in the country it's built wow. on like 80 or 90 or 70 something long long time ago it, it sleeps i believe it sleeps like 23 passengers oh man and crew and captain so you've probably got a little under 30 people on on board and now they have another boat um that they partner with another captain and that one is a little bit smaller and i think it sleeps 16 guests and then crew captain so um these last several years both boats have um kind of sailed in tandem and we tie up at night and we play music for both boats oh that's cool so yeah <laughs> well, Love it. that's a blast well, yeah, I mean, as long as you, like you say, as long as you write at least a chorus, you can write the whole thing off. Right? Yeah, we're performing and... and um, Singing well, through your supper. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I've really fallen in love with it up there and hope to to be able to get a little place up there one day. But it's, you know, I, I went, I've gone in December a few years just because I'm like, well, if I'm ever going to be up here, I need to know what winter feels like. But I, I got to play a show up there last December and off the water, you know, on land. And that was such a treat. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a great community. Mm, that's awesome. One of the other things I think about with you is running. And I think you're the only person I know that's run the Boston Marathon. Yeah. And uh, are you still running all the time, I assume? I am. I'm, I am. And, you know, I was actually talking to somebody earlier about this today. I'm still running, but it's the weirdest year because all the races are canceled. Right signed up for. I did a half marathon um, 
right before the world shut down. I mean, I think it was like leap year weekend. I did a half marathon in Atlanta and then, yeah, but yes, still running a lot. It's been a nice, especially this year, a nice outlet for everything. And, um, of course now we're turning into fall. So it feels great out there. Yeah. You did a, uh, virtual run across Tennessee, correct? I did. Yes. Yes. <laughs> was that pretty cool? Yeah. You know, I've always kind of, I don't know, poo pooed virtual races. I kind of was like, <laughs> you know, and, and then I saw this one posted and I was really intrigued. The race director, um, is well known. If anyone has ever seen, there's a documentary, I think it's on Amazon prime called the Barkley marathons. And he, this man, Laz, as he's called, um, puts it on. It's, if you ever need an interesting documentary, I highly recommend it. But it, he put this on and, and put the call out on Facebook and said, hey, we're going to do this. It's 1,000 K, 1,000 kilometers, about 635 miles across Tennessee. And they're gonna, they wanted to raise some money for Feed America. Um, for the, so our entry went to that. Well, they thought they'd get a couple hundred en- entrants. They got 19,000 people signed up. Oh, my up. gosh. A quarter of a million dollars for Feed America, which is amazing. And it was, I found that it was a great challenge. We had four months. We had from May 1 to August 31st to get across Tennessee. And um, I was surprised how motivated. I'm like, well, I'm going to get there before that. I don't want to wait till the last day. You know, I'm like, let me see miles. I can get a week and get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Along with with doing that, you're uh, involved in an organization called Girls on the Run. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, it's a great organization and I'm not, I'm not involved as, as I was, I'm on the advisory board now, but I still wholeheartedly believe in, in the organization and served on the board for a number of years. And as a volunteer, I got into it as a volunteer, but basically it's a national organization that has, um, different councils throughout different cities. And it's, um, it's for third through fifth grade girls. They also have a program called Girls on Track for middle school girls. And what I love about it, it's, you know, they're running, but they're doing exercises and running games while learning kind of some life lessons. Mm. So one week the theme might be healthy eating. The next week might be bullying or how to be a team player. And so they're playing, they're kind of doing running games, but they're, they're learning these lessons. Yeah as they go and you can see it registering with them. And and it's so sweet how supportive they are of each other. So they do this throughout the semester, technically training for a 5k. And then at the end of the season, they they're paired with a, a, a volunteer and they actually run or walk. We don't care. It doesn't matter. However, they get across that finish line. They complete a 5k, which is pretty cool. It's like a third or fourth grade girl, you know, it's a great Mm. morning. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you recently signed a new pub deal with uh, the Red Creative Group. Yes. As a songwriter that's been writing this long, what was uh, attractive about Red as over some other publishing companies? Yeah, well, several things. I mean, I'm, I'm so thrilled to be there. They're the, it's just an amazing team. They're people Who runs it? Uh, well, it's owned by Jeremy Stover. Oh, well, that's right. Okay. Run by um, Brooke Antonakis, <laughs> and um, she's the creative head creative director. And then um, there is a guy named Taylor Lamb who also does, you know, helps with our calendars and keeps us all in line. And they're they're both incredible. And I think to me, there's several things that are appealing about a company like Red. A, you've got Jeremy. You've got um, an in with 
you know, he's, he's the producer. He's working with artists that are signed to red, um, yeah. or other. So it's, it's, there's, there's that it's not, I like that they're, they're lean and mean, you know, I think there's eight or nine of us there. Um, but I think what I love the most is just how intentional they are about yeah. everything. It's, you know, I, I, as you know, the business has become, it's less about pitching. It's more about what's on your calendar. And yeah. they are very intentional about that. And I love that. It's not just like, oh, you're free today. You're free today. Y'all should right. write. Let's, why? What's the, what's yeah. the reason? For and um, yeah, and great communication. We meet every other week to kind of just chat about how the rights went and, you know, listen to songs and, so yeah, I, I think there's, um, I just feel like there's a level of excellence that hopefully it pulls me and, you know, continues to challenge me as a writer. So as, as a writer now, um, when you say the intentionality part, are you writing primarily with artists for records they're doing or will they tell you at the beginning of the day, hey, so-and-so is looking for a ballad or they're looking for an up-tempo. Why don't you write something for her or him or them or whatever? Or are you just writing songs? Yeah. Um, so I'm doing a lot of artist rights. Mm -hmm. Obviously with those, we're trying to write something that resonates with the artist in the room. Yeah. Um, and then, but yeah, I, we've talked about, you know, I, I still want to do and they want me to do, you know, good old fashioned, let's do a co-write, no writer in the room. And that we haven't really talked about, hey, I mean, there've been a couple things where they're like, Hey, so-and-so is looking, but it's been more like, Hey, what do you already have that you yeah. might want to pitch? But um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to some more, um, you know, I like the balance of both because there's nothing like just getting in the room with another writer yeah. and just write and hopefully something great. So yeah, I think they encourage both, but yeah, it's, a, it's way more artists writing than it used to be. Oh man, yeah. Can you hear my lawnmower out there? That oh, I mowing his lawn. Yeah, I just heard it. Well, <laughs> yeah, I always found that when you're when they would say write an up tempo song for Blake Shelton, by the time you got it done and demoed and everything, you were the 14th song, and they were looking for two. And so I love that you said that they're already looking at what do you what have you already got ready? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think they're great at, you know, if there was something very specific, I think there was one time where they're like, this person needs this exact thing. I'm like, well, you know, you try, yeah. you see, but you know, and if it doesn't work for that person, maybe there's another person that would use it. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, even they would say, I think it's less about pitching and more about just trying to get in the right combination. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Amy said you're also mentoring young songwriters. I mean, what's the best advice you can give somebody who wants to move to Nashville and write songs? Oh boy. Well, <laughs> yeah, um, don't, don't do it. <laughs> no, you better really love it and not have anything else you want to do more than that and be ready to, um, to work and be pa patient. It's hard. I mean, I think it's hard for all of us, but to have a thick skin, to develop a thick skin and, and just to have the work ethic to, if somebody doesn't buy it on the song or a publisher doesn't want to sign you, keep going. It's like yeah. we all hear a million times, no matter where you are, at what point you were in your career, whether you were trying to get a deal or your songs are getting passed on or what it's just, you know, I think it's, you just have to keep moving forward. 
um, and not get discouraged. And that's easier said than done. I can tell you that, but it's, you know, the, the person that keeps showing up, their odds are obviously going to be way higher. Yeah. And the person that just says, well, I'm not doing it today. So, hey, I, I got up and looked at Instagram one day and uh, looked at Jeff Steele's Instagram. And he said, this song, just the way we do it around here, just got cut by Trace Atkins. And I was like, wait a minute, what? And so we got on a kind of a conference call well, a podcast thing with Jeff and Danny Myrick and Kip Rains and me. And we figured out that we wrote that song 16 years ago. Crazy. <laughs> I, I mean, and it's like, hey, never rule out. I mean, yeah. it, never rule out a song. I had, I had the same thing with the Pam Tillis song this year. Um, oh, yeah. She, she cut something that was I'd written with her 16 years ago. Man. Like, what? You know, I mean, so yeah, you just, that's the kind of stuff that keeps you going in a way too. Cause I'm like, as much as there's a lot of things that fall through, you never know when you're randomly just going to get a phone call or open Instagram and be like, Oh, I didn't know this song got recorded. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and pleasantly he did a really good job. I was going to ask you. Yeah. So you're happy with, you're happy with the cut. And he did a great job. Awesome. So that's yeah, awesome. I mean, you know, shoot, the way radio is and everything. I mean, who knows if anything old great will happen, but it's just kind of fun to have it and know that, well, hey, we got a lot of other songs that are 16 years old. <laughs> yeah. Golly, yeah, like want to hear some more? <laughs> yeah. Why don't you come over? Well, you want to do my uh thinking and drinking lightning round? Oh, okay. I'm never good at this, but yes. All right. All <laughs> I'm just gonna ask you it's quick questions and you just give me Whatever comes to the top of your mind. Okay, watch out. Bishops. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what's your favorite book? What's my favorite book? Um, um, oh, what's it called? <laughs> Peace Like a River. Sorry, I'm sure. Peace Like a River. Uh, that's funny. Are you Thank a bath you. or a shower gal? Shower. Nice. What's the last gift you gave someone? Um, some soup and muffins. Nice. Tis the, tis the COVID season. Yes. What is the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? Well, I guess for me, it would be some, some student at Pittsburgh State University <laughs> playing the clarinet. So no, there was no t-shirt, but no, a concert concert. I think it was Chris Ledoux. Oh, sweet. Yeah. yeah Joplin, Missouri. No t-shirt. Do you collect anything? Running shoes. But I guess, <laughs> no, I don't. I try, I try to par down. I don't collect much anymore other than shoes and yeah. memories. Oh, I, I collect <laughs> a lot of other things. <laughs> What's your uh, favorite TV show to binge, to binge. Or lately? Um, I'm not a huge binger. Well, you laugh. Well, when COVID started, you'll laugh. I, I think there was just so much like unknown and stress. I'm like, I need to watch peaceful things, which I'm like, no stress, no violence, no. So I, you'll laugh. I watched Anne with an E on Netflix. It's basically the story of Anne of Green Gables. Oh, and okay. I, Canadian. I think it might've been on PPS, but I watched all three seasons and it was just so, I mean, there was, you know, strife and things but it was just such a peaceful lovely show so that's probably that was one of the ones i watched and sweet magnolia on netflix yeah sweet magnolia yeah 
Sweet Magnolias. And, um, and I love a documentary or any of the docu-series. Yeah. Just watch The Challenger. Um, it's just four, it's four episodes on Netflix all about the Challenger space shuttle exploding. Oh, wow. Because um, I obviously remember that as a kid. You yeah. Know? What's your favorite song? Wait, sorry, I missed that. My favorite what? Song. Oh, I thought you said salon. I'm like, uh. <laughs> Well, your hair looks great. Thanks. <laughs> uh, my favorite song. You know, I love, and I, uh, it feels like home. Do you know, um, and I always blink on who, um, who's the Toy Story guy? You got a friend. Oh, uh, Randy Newman. Yes, Randy Newman. Uh, feels like home is, I, I love, 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 love that song so much. So well what? written. What's the favorite song that you wrote? Hit, no hit, nobody's heard it but you, whatever. What song? Boy, that's, oh, Bart, that's hard. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, gosh, yeah, I, there are probably songs that haven't, but I do, there's one, there's one, you might know it, that years ago, I Envy the Sun is probably one of my favorites. Pam Tillis mm. ended up recording it, but it's one I wrote by myself. Um, gosh, that's tough. Yeah, that, I can't be the sun. Or why do they call it blue? They're both really old songs. Yeah. 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 What would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I guess I'd be in a corner office in Kansas City. Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, had that? Have I had it on that route? So yeah. You'd probably have a nice view of the stadium or something by now. Yeah. Hopefully some tickets, some like some season tickets to the Chiefs. <laughs> what are you listening to these days oh you know well it's interesting and i for many years especially with writing all the time a lot of times i would get in the car and like turn the music off because yeah. i just need to but i've been listening to a lot of actually kind of like folk and coffee shop stuff at home just mm -hmm. street and um have really enjoyed that and then of course i'm always listening to i love cold play i know that's like probably a cliche, but I just never get tired of his melodies. Yeah. Um, and John Mayer is the same way. Like those are, you know, um, but yeah, I, I try to, I listen to try to listen to some current country just to know what's out there, but that's not yeah. normal that I get inspired by. I feel like it inspires my writing, but that's not normally what I'm listening to on a day to day basis. Don't you think when, COVID ends and we can all get back in recording studios. They are, there's going to be the most amazing glut of amazing songs. Yeah. Cause I, I do, I personally feel like it's been a creative time and oh, yeah. it's been a slower time for most people. So yeah, I think the creative juices are flowing, you That's know, awesome. yeah, it's going to be really interesting to hear the music coming out from this season. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, what's next for you? What's next for me? Well, you know, hopefully a lot of great songs. It's uh, it, and it was funny. I just had that conversation with my publisher because I just had some stuff come out and, you know, like, well, what's next? And I love that they were just like, you know what? Don't focus on that as far, like, just focus on the day, like on the song you're writing. Because, yeah. you know, we all tend to worry and the songwriter, what's next? But yeah, I hope to just be, you know, continuing to stretch myself as a writer and, um, and, be challenging myself and, and writing some great stuff. And yeah, other than that, just um, enjoying autumn and fall and being outside as much as possible before it gets too cold. <laughs> I know. Can you believe we're having a fall? 
I know. Well, and I'm so grateful of all years. Like I just built a fire pit. Nice. Um, we and had the uh, inaugural fire last night. And so plan to spend some more time out there and, and, um, and yeah, just see, see uh, where it goes, you know, but yeah, grateful for the new opportunity with this new publisher. We'll, we'll see. Yeah. Well, do you have any socials that people get a hold of you? Find out what you're up to. Any social? Yeah, like genshot.com. Oh, oh, sorry. I was like, what? Um, then you said social people. I'm like, who's social oh. people? <laughs> yeah, so I uh, my Instagram is Jen with two N's. So J-E-N-N shot, S-C-H-O-T-T, um, at genshot. And um, I have a website, and it's, it's just genshot.com, spelled the same way. Um, so yeah, and people can leave a message there if they want. They can leave a, a message on the on the website, and uh, cool. I would love to hear from anybody. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I had a blast. It's great to see you. Great to see you too, Bart. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. And oh, man, I flew by. I, I don't know if it flew by for you. I'm like, oh, that went fast. <laughs> I kind of get my feelings hurt when I'm not invited to your girls' night out with Amy and you and Amy Parker and everybody. Um, That's thanks. all right. Well, Bart, you need Jens. to. Yeah. Jens and Amy's. <laughs> no, it's right. I never thought about that. <laughs> well, man, we'll give yourself a hug. We love you. Thanks for being a friend for so long. And I hopefully to get to see you soon. I hope so too, Bart. Thanks again so much. Great to see you. And again, thank you so much for having me. You too. Bye. Bye, Bart.